This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. We will continue tonight in our, our study on the blessings and the curse. And remember, God wants every one of us to be blessed. Every one of us in this room, God wants us to be blessed. And the greatest way that can happen is when we begin to get a hold of the Word of God in this area. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles 29. And I I need to learn to catch the heart of God. And the heart of God has always been to give. And when I catch that heart to learn to give, it, it removes the selfishness in my heart. And not only does it remove the selfishness in my heart, that it makes room for God to start blessing me. Where we literally live a life that we're blessed to be a blessing. And maybe you've never tapped into that. But it begins to happen when my heart becomes changed. And you say, you know what, I want to be an imitator of Jesus. I want to be an imitator of God. We begin here in First Chronicles 29. And this, this passage here, it provides a, a great model for giving. Verse number 1. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is a young and inexperienced. And the work is great, because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Interesting statement right there. The temple is God's. It's all about God. Now for the house of my God. Now watch real close how... Personal David references God. He says, now for the house of my God, I have prepared. When you see the word prepared, you know that tells me that this is a person who's planned. And not only is he planned, he's purposed. I have prepared with all my might, gold for the things to be made of gold, silver for things of silver, bronze for the things of bronze, iron for iron, wood for wood, onyx stones to be set, glistening stones of various color, all kinds of precious stones, marble slabs in abundance. Now, he said, for, for the house of my God, I have prepared this. The house of my God. And so, when I look at this right here, Oftentimes with people, that makes zero sense. I know people that will make comments about when you give to the house of God, and they'll think, man, why do you do that? Why would you ever give that money? Well, you begin to catch David's heart here. He understood how good God had been to him through his whole life. And so he made plans. He made, he made a purpose in his heart that he said, you know what? I'm going to take care of some things. Verse 3, moreover, because I have set my affection, I have set my devotion on the house of my God. I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I've prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver. Now, it's interesting that he said, I've set my affection on the house of God. And how did he set his affection on the house of God? He gave. And how did he give? Over and above. 
Now it's interesting that he would say those things. And so his heart was compelled to the house of God. And he had saved up his prized possession. And in his uh, special treasuries it said for the house of God. How many has ever said this or even thought this? Father God will give you everything but that one thing. Probably every one of us in this room have said that. I'll give you everything, Father God, but that one thing. I won't give you that. And it's interesting here that David not only had given uh, uh, over and over and over, but again, he's given over and above. And he said, I'm given out of my special treasury. The things that are real dear to me, I place my affection toward the house of God. What a place to be. But he didn't do that just for the fun of it. He did that because he recognized how good God had been to him. And he goes back and he, he, he reviews his life. He reviews life and he says, man, I see over and over how, how God's faithfulness has been toward me. Verse 4. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, the 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses. Now, you know what he was doing? He was decorating the house of God extravagantly. I, I don't know about you, but it doesn't bother me at all when I see God's house is extravagant. I know there's people that bothers. But nobody thinks anything when there becomes a new restaurant. New mall, stuff like that. They don't have a thought. That's good. They can do that. But when the house of God begins, people will begin to criticize it and question. You know what I think? David thought, I really don't care. My affection is toward the house of the God. Verse number 6 or 5. The gold for things of gold and the silver for things of silver and for all the kinds of works to be done by the hands of craftsmen. Who then is willing... He didn't say who then is able. He said who then is willing to consecrate or set himself this day to the Lord. Now it's interesting right there that he said I, I want you to consecrate to set yourself apart to the Lord. And when he said he's willing, you know what he was actually saying? Who of you will actually step out and do it? Who, will you, who of you will act on this? Then the leaders of the father's houses, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of the thousand of hundreds, with officers over the king's work, they offered willingly. And I believe one of the reasons they offered willingly is because they had seen how David offered. And they saw his affection for the house of the Lord. And I, begin, I believe he began to, to say to them, what about your life? How has the house of God impacted your life? How has the house of God in, impacted your family, your children? Now, I, I want to rewind. About 20 years ago, this happened in our life. In my life as a Christian, I've been in two churches. That's it. I was in Faith Christian Family Church of Clovis and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock. Those are the only two churches I've been plugged into my whole life. And the church in Clovis, it, it started out very similar to this. And it began to grow, and it began to grow, and it grew so much that there were Sundays we were meeting in two and three different places around the city. 
The children's was over here. The main adults was over here. The youth was over there. And so there came a call out. We needed to build a new church. Well, to build a new church, that costs money. God doesn't lean over the balcony of heaven and have a chunk of gold and throw it down to him and says, there you go. That's not how he operates. So the cry went out and said, what can you do? What are you willing to do over and above your tithe? You can give a one-time gift or you can give monthly however you want. Well, me and Shelly began to pray about it and we said, the house of God has affected our lives. Look at our lives. Look at where we're at. It's because of the teaching we got. It's because of, of the worship together with other believers. And then what really began to move me is my children from this age until they started growing up, they had been taught the word of God in church. They had been taught the word of God in a youth group. And I was extremely grateful for all that. And so me and Shelly begin to pray. And when you ask God about amounts to give, if he ever gives you two amounts, usually the greater one is God's heart, not the lower one. And so we were getting two different amounts and we finally both decided we're going to go on the other one, the old one, or, or the highest one. It's going to stretch us. So we made a pledge and we said, every month for 36 months, we're going to give $150 over and above our tithe. Now you can do the math. It was $5,400 that we set aside. We said, we're going to honor you with it, Lord. And we were grateful. We were joyed about the thought. You know what? Because the house of God had been good to us so about two years into that, it's when the church here in Lubbock started. And so we left that. And we still had a year left on our pledge. And we said, Father God, we're going to honor that. We're going to keep doing that. You know why? Because the Lord said, you build my house and I'll build your house. Something happens when I begin to step out by faith. And so that's what happened with these men and women, I believe. I believe they saw how awesome the house of God is. I mean, there's a lot of people that build football stadiums because that's their house. But think about this in Matthew 6, 21. He says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Now, pay close attention to the wording here. Verse 7. They gave for the work of the house of God. 5,000 talents, 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, 100,000 talents of iron. Now, I didn't do the math on this because I don't know all the, the equations. I believe some of you in here probably could. They estimate that to be like 21 billion in our economy today. I don't stomp my feet and say, now, why would anybody do that for the house of God? I'm like, yes, yes, we serve an extravagant God. Verse number 7, they gave for the work of the house of God. And I said all that, verse 8. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the hand of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced. Then the people bellyached. Then the people moaned and groaned. Then the people said, how stupid we were. No. It said, then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart, with a loyal heart, why do I highlight with a loyal heart? 
2 Chronicles 16, 9, it says, The eyes of the Lord go to and fro across the earth, looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. You know, it's one thing for me to say my heart is loyal to the Lord. It's another thing to show him. And he said right here, Because with a loyal heart they had offered willing to the Lord, the King David also rejoiced greatly. And he was so blessed to do that. Now listen, I'm not starting a stewardship campaign. That's not what I'm doing, okay? Relax. I'm just telling you about how you begin to see the principles in their life. Now, many times we look at King David's life and we think, this is how he was his whole life. He always did. No, he didn't always have this. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. And if you were here on Sunday morning, we read this passage. This was the passage when David got wiped out of everything at Ziklag. His wife, his children, and all his possessions were stolen. And, and to paraphrase this real quickly, David goes into the presence of God and he said, God, what do you want me to do? And God said, pursue, overtake, and recover. Now, this is where we begin here in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 17. Then a David attacked him from twilight until the evening of the next day, 24 hours. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on the camels and they fled. So David recovered all the Malachites had carried away. David rescued his two wives and nothing of theirs was lacking. Either small or great, son or daughter, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and herds they had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary they could not follow David. Now understand, there's roughly 600 of them. 200 of them, they are so wore out they can't keep going. They stop right there and I guess they pitch their tent. So this is who this is. Whom they also made to stay at Brook Bazor. So they went out to meet David and meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men, the other 400 of those who went with David, answered and said, Because they did not go with this, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have covered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. Now those 400, you know what they said? We're not giving the rest of you nothing. All you get is your wives and your children. And they said, we're giving those to you now. Get out of here. Depart. But watch David's heart. But David said, my brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us. Who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. Do you know what David says? I want to be good to them. I realize they didn't go with us, but he blesses them with the spoil. And in, in verse number 26, look what it says. Now, when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah, to the friends, saying, Here is a present for, for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. When I read that, I began to look. David had a pattern of giving. Even when he didn't have much. And he said, I want to bless you and I want to bless you. And so again, you begin to look at this and you take notes with what we read there in Luke 16. When you're faithful and little, God will promote you to much. But again, 
David gives the Lord credit. He said, this is from the spoils of the Lord. And so God's desire is we get a hold of his heart. And we learn to give. Now, go into the New Testament with me. To the book of Luke, chapter number 9. Luke chapter 9. And this is a passage probably the majority of us have read it or we've heard it. But there's a principle in here of giving that a lot of times we overlook. So I'm going to start in verse 12. And we're going to read through verse 17. And when the day began to wear away, the twelve disciples came to Jesus. And they said, send the multitude away. That they may go into their surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provision. For we are in a deserted place here. But Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves, two fish, unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Then he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so. And they made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves, the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them, gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and the twelve baskets of leftover fragments were taken up by them. He said, man, Pastor, you read that really fast. I did. But now what we're going to do is we're going to go back and we're going to begin to break this story down. And the only way I believe we can get it is we're now in the story. Me and you are now one of the twelve disciples. And so... We pick back up in verse 12, and it says, As the day wore on, as the afternoon got older and over, got a little older, and time went on, and time went on, so maybe it was a Sunday, and we'll just say it was a Sunday. And they begin to have church service, and Jesus begins to preach, and he begins to preach, and he keeps preaching. And it's outstanding. But the day begins to wear on, and you know, as human beings, we begin to get a little hungry. And we have the thought, you know what? It's Sunday. We've missed the NFL pregame. We've missed the NFL postgame. We're going to miss 60 minutes if he didn't get out of here. Oftentimes, that's how humans think. And so, they realize, the Bible says they were in a deserted place. So there's no motels there. There's no Motel 6, no Motel 5, no Motel 2 or 1. There's nothing. There's no fast food. There's no hole in the wall. There's nothing there. And so they realize he's got to dismiss this service. So they begin to convey that to him. Verse 13. But Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. So Jesus looks at me and we're, me and you, and we're telling we got to get out of here. And he says, you give them something to eat. And we scratch our little heads and we say, but all we have is five loaves of bread and two fish sticks. That's all we got. And Lord, I've seen Paul Woodard eat before. He could eat five of those in one setting on his own. It's not going to go very far. But it's interesting here. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. Verse 13. And they said, we have no more than five loaves, two fish, and unless we go and buy food for all these people. Verse 14. For there were about 5,000 men. Now you can do the math. It comes to about fifteen or 20,000 when you add their wives or their children 
So he said, for there are about 5,000 men. Then he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. So we begin to nudge each other. And I whispered to Roxanne and I said, tell him. He misunderstood the answer. What did he not get? We said, we've only got five loaves and two fishes. And he said, you make them sit down. Now, really, in reality, to make 20,000 people sit down in groups of 50, that would probably be the biggest miracle. I don't know if you've ever been in charge of a group of 100, but to try to get them in groups of five, that's crazy. I don't want to sit in that group. I'm going to this group. And you do the math on that. That was 400 groups of 50. And so he said, make them sit down into these groups. And it's interesting there. That even though that didn't make any sense, they still obeyed him. They still did what Jesus said. And that's huge for me and you to get a hold of. Oftentimes, the things that Jesus asks us to do, when you first start doing it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And even in their situation, when they said to him, all we got is five loaves and two fish, this is, becomes our issue. We focus on what we don't have instead of what we do have. And that's where Jesus gets them to. So he gets them to the place where they sit in groups of of 50. Verse 15. And they did so and they made them all sit down. Then Jesus took the five loaves, the two fish, looking up to heaven. He blessed and broke them. He gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. Now, here's what we got to see. They bring to Jesus what they have. And they give it to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He blesses it. He breaks it. And he gives it back to them. Now again, me and you are in the story. And we're watching him do all this. And we all look at each other as the twelve. And we have the thought, great. Now we got ten dinner rolls. And four fish nuggets. And with that we have a couple options. We can blow it off and think, he's crazy. He doesn't know what he's thinking. We can all sit down and we can eat that if we want. Or, he said, I give it back to you and I want you to give it to the multitudes. So now I have another choice. Do I obey what Jesus asked me to do? Do I blow it off as no big deal? Or do I eat it? Now, here's the point you got to begin to see this right here. After they gave it to Jesus, Jesus blessed it and broke this. When I give it to Jesus, and only when I give it to Jesus, and He blesses it, does it have the potential to multiply. Again, Jesus never focused on what they didn't have. He focused on what they did have, and He said, Just give it to me. And let me bless it. And as I bless it, I'm going to give it back to you. And then you know what he says to you? You take it and you do good to other people. 
And this is exactly what they did. But they had to step out by faith. They had to believe everything he was saying. I gotta obey. I gotta obey. I gotta obey when Jesus tells me what to do. Now the miracle didn't happen in Jesus' hand. When Jesus broke it and gave it back to them, all they know is there was five loaves and two fish. The miracle happened when they began to give to other people. When they begin to step out. Now watch what it says here. And he blessed it, broke it, and gave to them. And he gave it to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate, all 20,000, and were filled. And 12 basketfuls of the left fragments were taken up by them. And so here's what I see in that story. When we give... Jesus blesses it and he gives it back to us. And because he gives it back to us, we're now blessed to be a blessing. We bless all the other people. And Jesus is so good to us, he gives us a doggy bag to take home with us. Again, right there, you begin to see the principle of giving. That oftentimes it doesn't make sense. How many have ever said, I don't have enough. This is all I got. Again, when you got something in your hand... That seed, whatever that seed is, step out by faith and begin to obey the Lord Jesus. Now, I had a great question that came up to me two weeks ago. A person asked me, they said, Pastor, do you believe that that tithing is giving or returning? And I said, well, let me give you an illustration that I believe that helps every one of us. We remember the, the principle of the first fruit and the firstborn. That's all Exodus 13. This is, this is on the, the podcast. But in Exodus 13, the Lord said, he said to him, he said, the firstborn of all those flocks, it's mine. He said, the first fruit of all your crops, it's mine. A great scripture reference for me and you is Proverbs 3, verse 9. It says, honor the Lord with the first fruits of all your increase. Honor the Lord with all the fruits of your increase, your first increase. That first one's God. So we talked about the principle of the first. So when I begin to honor God with that first one, it's a big deal to God. It's not just a little bit. Leviticus 27 verse 30 says, the tithe is God's and it's holy to him. So to help you with that illustration, is tithing giving or returning? Let's just pretend last night that I'm driving home and I have a blowout in my car. But I don't get paid till Friday. And so I can't buy a tire till Friday. So I call Ronnie up on the phone and said, Hey, Ronnie, can, can I use your car for a few days? And he said, Absolutely, Pastor. You can have it for the rest of your life if you want. No, he didn't say that. But... So he gives me his car. And I drive it. Friday I get paid. I go buy a new car or new tire, put it on mine. And I take it back. And I said to Ronnie, I said, I'm giving you your car back. I'm not giving him his car back. It was never mine to give to him. It was his in the first place. So you know what I'm really doing? All I'm doing is returning to Ronnie what was actually his. And when I begin to look at the the, the tithe and I begin to see it that way, it's not mine. 
It's God's. And remember the principle of this. That first one is God's. Will it take faith? It'll take huge faith. But you're going to have to have to step out and believe that. And I'll end tonight with this, this little analogy. And I think most of you have heard this. There's a man named Jack Hayford. Jack Hayford, I believe, is 87. A great man of God. Great man of God. When he was five years old, his father sat him down and he said this to him. He said, Jack, there's ten pennies on that table. Every dime you make in your life, one of those pennies is God's. And he said, if you'll get this principle, he's five years old. He said he remembers tithing starting at a five-year-old. So he went through life saying, every dime that I make, a penny of those is mine. And you know what his dad said to him? He said, now Jack, out of those ten pennies, which one of those is the tithe? Is it the eighth one? Is it the sixth one? Is it the third one? Is it just any of them you choose? And he said, no, Jack. He said, it's that first penny. Because that first penny carries the blessing. That first penny takes great faith to get out there. And he said, when you begin to honor him with the first, it's the first fruit of your month. It's the very first thing you ever do. It takes the greatest faith, but with the greatest faith comes the greatest blessing. Now, I can tell you this. I didn't get a hold of these principles when I was five. I love to teach those to my children. And I taught those principles to my children. I don't know if my daughter's here tonight. I don't see her in here. She's honored God since a little girl. I mean, we put those in her. And when I see young ones and they've learned to honor God with that, I'm like, oh my gosh. Your solar year's in front of most of us. But just because I've never done that doesn't mean I can't start. I encourage you, begin to incorporate that in your life and incorporate that in your children. And guess what? They go through life under the blessing their whole life. What do I do first? I honor God. It's, it's never a question. Will it take great faith? It'll take great faith. But oh, I'm telling you right now. God is a God that blesses when we obey what he says to do. And I will tell you this, probably most Wednesday nights here for months, I'm, I'm going to keep teaching areas of faith. You know what I begin to see in the area of faith? God said without faith it's impossible to please him. Over and over in the New Testament, the centurion Matthew 8, the Lord said to him, I haven't found such great faith in all of Israel. He didn't say, I haven't found such great needs. He said, great faith. The woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5, the Lord Jesus said to her, he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. And so again, Romans uh, 10, 9 and 10, it talks about faith. Actually, Romans 10, starting in verse 6, it says, the word of faith has got to be in us. There is a degree of faith, and that's why I talked the story about there a minute ago. They stepped out with what God had said, and they said, here's the fish. They stepped out, and they said it in groups of 50, even though it didn't make sense. Pastor, did it make sense to you? No, it didn't make sense to me. Actually, this little head did probably 20 360s. I would look at this, and I'd say, Lord, I, I, I don't know how I'm doing this. I don't know. But we kept honoring God. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.